actually in week number two of a series that we're doing, we, we've called it I Quit. I Quit. On the count of three, both campuses, I want you to say the title of this series aloud with me. Ready? One, two, three. I Quit. And we're, we're walking through some different areas that tend to attach themselves to us that I believe that God wants us to quit. Last week, we, we used the children of Israel to learn a little bit about the cost of complaining and the need to stop complaining. If you were here last weekend and you took the Monday no complaint challenge, let me see your hand. Okay, many hands. Come on, go church, you two, raise your hand. How many of you, like you made it all day? You made it all day. Come on, I'm proud of you. How many of you said, didn't stand a chance? <laughs> I got you, at least you're honest. And so we talked about the children of Israel. We talked about the cost of complaining. And I hope that if Monday proved anything to us, it's that we need to be a lot more intentional with the perspective of life. The Bible says that life and death is in the power of the tongue. Come on, give me a good amen right there. And so, so today we're going to move to week number two, and we're going to talk about the idea of quitting bad habits. And I told you last week that it's this week, week number two in this series, that really put the legs on the entire thought for four weeks of conversation around this. And so I want to stick with the children of Israel, and I'll tell you more about that in a moment. But, But let me take this idea as a part of my introduction a step further, because it's not simply about quitting bad habits. Really today is about you and I experiencing true, genuine freedom that only is found in Jesus Christ. That, that's really the heart behind this. And I'm going to try my best in 40 minutes to unpack all of, all of this if I can. If I, if I need another 25, 30 minutes or 40 minutes, I know you're willing to give it to me. Thank you, three of you. I'll do the best I can in 40 minutes. And so the idea is is for you and I to really experience this reality that God wants us to live in freedom. As a matter of fact, Paul talks about this. In Galatians chapter 5, verse number 1, Paul says it like this. He says, it is for freedom. Think about that. Why, Why did God send his son Jesus? Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now, now I want to read it again, but I want to do it this way. I want to make it personal. I want you and I to make this a personal declaration. So on the count of three, I want you to read this verse aloud. And I want you, when you get right here, I want you to say this for Christ that set me free. Me free. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm preaching this message from my own experience That if God can deliver, if God can set someone free like J.C. Worley, he can do it for anybody. You ready? Let's read it together. One, two, three. It is for freedom that Christ has set me free. Do it one more time. Ready? One, two, three. It is for freedom that Christ has set me free. Now, this is a declaration of freedom. As a matter of fact, I quote Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 often. Anytime the enemy tries to rear his ugly head, trying to pull me back into a life of addiction or bondage, I rise up with the authority that's given to me in the name that is above all names, which is Jesus. I hold on to the truth of the word of God, and I remind the enemy, no, it is for freedom that Christ has set me free. This is a declaration. 
And this declaration is both a statement of an accomplished fact, and I'll talk about that, but it's also a goal to pursue. And let me unpack that for a minute. Here's what I mean. Freedom is ours because of what Jesus Christ did on that cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Many of you know John 3, 16, and we see that the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross at Calvary. Here's what happens. He paid our debt via the cross, and then he didn't, he didn't just stay crucified, but come on, we just celebrated Easter, but Easter isn't an event. You can celebrate Easter every week. Come on now. And so he didn't just stay crucified, and he didn't just stay buried, but, but he took the keys to death, hell, and the grave, and Christ alone is the one that has set us free. And the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 never suggests that you and I have to fight for our freedom. He never suggests that you and I have to fight for freedom. Rather, he says that freedom has been fought for and it's yours. That you get freedom. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is, this is really good news. Because no matter what the stronghold is, no matter what the bondage is, no matter what you feel enslaved to or a prisoner of, no matter what the addiction is or the fear is or no matter what the sin is, watch this, lean in for a second. When you say yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ, he has set us free. That's a good place to put your hands together right there. Come on. When you say yes to Jesus, Jesus sets us free. However, and I want you to listen to me for a minute. Once Jesus gives you that freedom, it then becomes your responsibility and my responsibility to walk out that freedom. It then becomes your responsibility and my responsibility to live out that freedom. That's why Galatians 5 is not only a declaration of freedom, and it's an absolute fact. This is what Jesus did, but this is also a goal to pursue. Jesus paid the cost. He paid the price, and it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But once you say yes to Jesus, then it's our responsibility to live in that freedom. Let me give you an example. Consider in your mind for a moment a prisoner, like an actual prisoner. He, he's, in a, he's in a prison cell. He's in a jail cell. And, and suddenly this, this prisoner has been pardoned for all of his crime. Now, he didn't even see the pardon coming. He didn't realize that, that the pardon was even on the table as an option until they unlocked the prison cell and they let him walk free. So there he stands. He stands outside of the prison. He's on the other side of the fence, and he is a free man. Every crime that he had committed had been pardoned, and it had been forgiven, and now he is free. Once he walks out of that jail, once he walks out of that prison, it is then his responsibility to continue to live as a free man and stay free. So watch this. So every day that you and I live, 
It is the primary objective of the enemy to put us back into prison. But there's good news that Christ is the one that set us free. And every day, our goal is to live free, to walk free, and to be free. Come on, church. And when you read this Bible, all throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, we see this idea of freedom as the primary theme of the Scripture. And I'm going to show it to you. As a matter of fact, last week we talked about the children of Israel and how they taught us a lot about the cost of complaining. Uh, I want to stick with the children of Israel today because that they had one, one prayer. They had one primary prayer. And their prayer was this, God, free us. God, deliver us. And God's number one desire was to set them free. And I think for many of us here today, that, that's our number one prayer. God, God, I just I want to be free. Like I really, want, I really want to be free. And God's greatest desire is for you to experience that freedom. So in Exodus chapter 6, if you got your Bible, flip there real quick. In Exodus chapter 6, God makes five statements. He makes five powerful promises. They're known as the, the five I will promises. Now, before I read these promises to you out of Exodus chapter 6, I want to make sure that we all have a little context as to what's happening before these five statements, before these five I will promises are made. And so, so let, me, let me give you a little background leading up to our reading in, in Exodus chapter 6. In Exodus chapter 1, the Israelites... These are God's chosen children. They were forced into slavery by an evil ruler known as Pharaoh. And here's why. The population of the children of Israel increased and the Egyptians felt threatened. And so they forced the Jewish people to become their slaves. That's a synopsis of Exodus chapter 1. In chapter 2, Moses is born. So God is not about to leave his children in bondage. He doesn't want to leave them as slaves in some foreign land. So in chapter 2, God raises up Moses. He, he, he allows Moses to be born, and he taps him as the leader of, watch this, this mass exodus. God has a desire to get the people that are in prison, the people that are, that are in bondage, he's got a desire to get them free. And so he's going to use Moses to lead them to a new home, to a promised land. The Bible says a land where both milk and honey flow. Now, if you're lactose intolerant or you're a vegan, that doesn't sound like much of a promised land. Come on, somebody. But the idea of a land flowing with milk and honey is the definition that this land is rich, that this land is fertile, that it's a land of abundance, and they've never experienced that type of land before. So God, in Exodus 2, raises up Moses. In Exodus 3, God speaks to Moses through a burning bush. Literally, there, there is a, a piece of shrubbery that catches on fire, but it's never consumed. And in the middle of this burning bush experience, Moses is then called to lead the exodus. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. 
Well, I'm going to show you one verse here in Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. This is the instruction that God gave to Moses in the middle of that burning bush experience. He says this. He says, go. On the count of three, shout go. One, two, three. Go. I'm telling you, somebody ought to name a church, go church. He says, go. And he says, I'm sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now move to chapter 4, Exodus 4. Moses saddles up his donkey, he loads up his family, and he makes the trip returning back to Egypt. In Exodus chapter 5, Moses, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of God, has a conversation with Pharaoh. He has this, uh, this meeting with, with the ruler, and Moses goes to Pharaoh, and he says, let God's people go. Many of you, you learned that in Sunday school or kids school. Kids Bible study, right? He says, let God's people go. But Pharaoh was stubborn. He was arrogant. He was conceited. He was cocky. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to let God's people go. I'm not going to comply. And Moses becomes really frustrated. He becomes really angry. And then, ladies and gentlemen, Exodus 6 happens. And God makes five powerful I will promises. And here's why these I will statements, these I will promises are so profound and they're so powerful. And here's why. Listen to me. Because although God made them over the children of Israel, these five promises are available to you and to me right here today. These are eternal promises that they're found all throughout the Bible. They're found within inside of the Great Commission. They're found in the writing of the book of Acts. They're found all throughout the New Testament. And here it goes. Watch. This is what he says. You'll see all five. He says, I am the Lord. And here's the first one. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Here's the second one. He says, I will free you from being slaves to them. Here's the third. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Watch verse 7. You see the next two. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And then he closes it with this. He says, then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Let, let me show you these five because I want you to see the promise of each five I will statements. The first one was this. He says, I will bring you out. Church, listen, this is the promise of salvation. God sent his son Jesus so that you and I could be saved. And then he says this. He says, and I will free you. Now, this is the promise of freedom. The Bible says, whom the Son set free is what? Free. free indeed. So he promises not only salvation, but he promises deliverance. He promises freedom. And then he says, now, now, now the process isn't done. And, and this is how God works in our lives. He says, not only do I want to save you, not only do I want to free you, but I want to redeem you. I, I want to buy you back. Come on, that's good, isn't it? So we see through the redemption this process of redeeming. And then the next two I will statements are this. I'll take you as my own and I will be your God. And this is the promise 
of fulfillment. That God not only wants you to have life, but he wants you to have life more abundantly. And at some point, I don't know when, but I promise you, We'll do a whole series on those five I will statements. And I'll walk you through each one of those because there's so much rich history. As a matter of fact, even today in the Jewish culture at Passover, they will drink four cups of wine to represent these four promises. And so at some point, we'll unpack this in an entire series. But today, I really just want to focus in on this promise of freedom. This promise of freedom. Now, at at first glance... The first and second I will statement, that that first I will promise and the next I will promise seems to be a little bit redundant. So let me answer the question, why, why did God say that he would save them and set them free? Because here's what he said. He said, I'm going to bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and then I, I'm going to free you from being slaves to them. So why does God say that he's going to save them and then set them free? And here's why. Listen to me. And we're going somewhere. I'm setting you up. Watch. Because even though they were no longer slaves, they still acted like they were. Because even though they were no longer in bondage, even though they were no longer in prison, they acted like they were. They had a slave mentality. They had a slave mindset. They were held in captivity to their prior past experiences. And and this may not be as crazy as it sounds. Because if you remember a moment ago, I gave you an example of a prisoner being set free. And I told you he didn't do anything to earn the pardon of that freedom. But once he's on the other side of the prison gate, it becomes his responsibility to live free and to stay free, right? So watch this. This isn't crazy because of the people in the United States who are incarcerated. Those that are in prison and then they are released from prison. Almost 50% of them return back to prison within three years of gaining their freedom. Think about that. So they're in prison and they get free. And then almost half of them, within three years, go right back into prison. And here's why. Because there's something in your human nature, and there's something in my sinful nature that learns to adapt to our surroundings, no matter how painful they are or how difficult they may be. And so whenever our circumstances change, we often find it hard to know how to function without the experiences of our prior captivity. And so here's what we do. We go back to bad habits. We go back to old habits. And now let me show you how it applies to us because I set you up to say this. And this is really my heart. We can be saved having a desire to follow Jesus, having a love for God, yet still be slaves to bad habits and sinful behaviors. Watch this. After the children of Israel left the land of Egypt, there was still a little bit of Egypt left in them. They were a free people. They were on their way to this promised land, but they had a slave mentality. And listen to me. I'm not trying to be hard, but I'm just trying to be honest. Quite honestly, this right here is so many Christians. Yeah, you're saved. 
You've asked Jesus to come into your heart and he has saved you and you're on your way to heaven, but you're still plagued by bad habits, secret addictions, secret hidden sin, which by the way, hidden sin is still sin. We're plagued by sinful attitudes and yet all the while God says, hey, I don't just want to save you, but I want you to be free. I want you to experience true freedom. It's what John 10 verse 10 says, and I use it in so many sermons. The enemy says that he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. But God says that I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And I'm so, if it's fair to say this with you hearing my heart and not just my words, I get so frustrated that Christians have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they're still living in a prison in this world. Christ is the one who has saved us and set us free. Write this thought down because this is going to be liberating for some of you. you got to know this. You will never be able to walk in true freedom until you let God deal with the mess of your past. You'll never be able to experience true freedom in Jesus Christ until you let God deal with the mess of your past. Listen to me. He does not want to just save you. But he wants to take the mess and turn it into a message. Come on now. He wants to deliver you and set you free. So here's the question. You ready? What's the mess? What, what is it, church, that you need to be delivered from? Now, let's, let's all be super transparent here. I've got the microphone. You don't. So you don't have to answer aloud. But let's just make sure we're all on the same page. We've all got junk. <laughs> we've all got messes. We've all got issues. We, we've all got stuff. Come on, how many of you would admit that? Come on, both campuses. Like, hey, not, none of us are perfect. None of us have any of this really figured out. And, and so when I say, what is it that you need to be delivered from? Let's just make sure we're all on the same page. We've all got areas that we need to be delivered from. And watch this. Deliverance isn't just for people that are possessed with demons. All right? Although God can deliver and free people who are demon-possessed. But, but it's not just for people, you know, that are possessed with demons and that you read about in Scripture or that co-worker that you swear has got a demon in them. Come on now. Deliverance is for anybody that is still struggling in their sin nature. So they've said yes to Jesus. They've had an encounter with Jesus, and I'm going to make this real personal. For many of you, that happened a couple weeks ago on Easter. You, you said yes to Jesus, and, and you thought, when I say yes to Jesus, I'll never have another problem. I'll never make another mistake. There'll never be another issue. I'll never have another wrong. I'll never have another shortcoming. How many of you know that that is not true, right? And so now, all of a sudden, we realize, wait a minute, I'm, I'm in a relationship with Jesus but my life, there's still a mess. So this idea of deliverance is for anybody that's still wrestling through the, the temptations or the addiction. The addiction. Let's talk about addiction for a minute. Because if you're like me, whenever I hear that word addiction, immediately 
the big ticket items pop up in my head and heart. Okay, so you're telling, talking about addiction, so that's got to mean somebody that, that's, that's drinking or, you know, somebody that's smoking or somebody that's cussing or somebody that lies or they cheat or they steal or they're addicted to pornography. And yes, watch this. The consequences of some of those addictions, they're severe. They're severe. Okay? Uh, this, isn't, this isn't anything but the truth. You, you cannot smoke and have the effects of smoking and then blame God for the effects. That ain't fair. Come on, give me a better amen than that. Like you, you cannot drink and then get cirrhosis of the liver and be like, God, why would you do this to me? God never put that bottle in your hand. It's the enemy that says, I know that you want to do right. I know you want to live for the Lord, but the enemy just wants to keep you in a prison. And watch this. You may be on your way to heaven, but you ain't dead yet, honey. Come on now. You are alive, and if you're alive, God's got a purpose and a plan for your life, and he wants you to live a life of freedom so that you can tell the whole world, not only did God save me, but he set me free. I wish I had a few hundred free people. Come on. That could testify to that truth. So, so write this down. An addiction is anything we don't want to do, but we can't stop doing. That's when you know you're an addict. So for maybe some of you, it is drugs. And you want, you want to live free, and, and God wants you to be free. Okay, I'll show you the process of that. Maybe it's not drugs for some of you. Maybe, maybe it's Little Debbie's. Because you and I, are really, we're really quick to judge people in their addiction, aren't they? Well, I can't believe that they're doing drugs, but you have no problem overeating all the time. So, and a... <laughs> Y'all come back on Mother's Day. It'll be better, I promise you. So this addiction is anything that we don't want to do, but we, we cannot stop doing. So for some of you, may, maybe it is smoking. But for others of you, it might be the fact that you spend hours on social media. Every day, you're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And that is an addiction. So, so maybe it is gambling. And if you put any money on maximum security yesterday in the Kentucky Derby, you lost. Right? Or maybe it's just the fact that you're glued to television or Netflix. And you'll spend hours and hours and you can't stop checking email or text messages on your phone. So don't just, don't just you know, group together addiction as just the big ticket items. Come on. The question is this. Here it is. Listen to me. What has control over you? What is it? that has control over you. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, and I, I never try to put down other churches because we're, we're in the same business together. We're on the same team together. But I'm going to give you a word that I think too many churches are running away from, okay? What has control over you? Here it is. You ready? It's sin. And, and as long as you and I are alive on this earth, we will wrestle with our sin nature. Because the enemy is not going to let up just because you said yes to Jesus. 
If anything, he wants you to be known as a hypocrite and you go backwards instead of forwards. And so if you want to know what's really controlling you, then you have to take, tackle the real issue and it's sin. What is sin? I'm so glad you asked. Sin is simply this. It's missing the mark of God's standard, which is holiness. The Bible says this. God says, be holy because I am holy. In that phrase, he set the standard for me and you. And the standard is, is that we should walk a life of holiness. And so anytime that we have sin in our lives, we are simply missing the mark of the standard that God set for us, which is holiness. So even more practical, let me break it down like this. Sin is the wrong choices that you and I continue to make. And we make these bad choices based off of our beliefs, Our attitudes, our bad habits, our addictions, or our behaviors. Paul said it this way. Is everybody with me? Do you love me? Because I'm trying to help I'm trying to help you and I'm trying to help me. This is what Paul says. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, watch this. Watch how he says this. And I'm and I'm reading from the Living Bible version of Scripture, okay? He says it like this: He says, It seems to be a fact of life. That whenever I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. How many of you can testify to that? Like every time I want to do the right thing, I end up messing it up and doing the wrong thing. Watch what he says. That's verse 21, verse 22. He says, I love to do God's will so far as my new nature is concerned. So he says, I I know Jesus, I love Jesus, I've accepted Jesus, and as far as this new man or this new person is concerned, I love to do what God's will is. And then watch this. See if this doesn't just ring something in your spirit by way of uh, understanding. He says, but there is something else deep within me. In my old nature. So now he says, watch this. He says, you can be saved and still be in a battle. The new man versus the old man. I'm preaching better than you're helping me and that's okay. He says, so now I recognize that even though I've said yes to Jesus, I can be in a spiritual warfare. And the old man and the new man are constantly going at it. And this old man that's buried deep down inside of me, that is at war with my mind it's at war with my mind and it wins the fight and it makes me a prisoner to the sin that is still within me watch what he says watch this he says in my mind I want to be God's willing servant but instead I find myself enslaved to sin You know, there's so much debate about the thorn that was in Paul's side in his flesh. But even Paul himself, who had a radical experience on the road to Damascus that changed the trajectory of his life, he still wrestled with the old man that likes to creep up and remind him of his past. And I'm telling you that you and I, we have that same battle on the inside of us. You come and I come to church week in and week out hoping to experience freedom in Jesus. And you you can bet on it that when you get to work or when you get 
home or you go back into the real world, that old person wants to rear up and remind you of who you used to be because it is the primary objective of the enemy to pull you back into prison. It's why you can come here and you can sing, God is so good until you get in traffic. Come on now. Until, until you run into that coworker that you said was demon-possessed. And now what happens? The old, the old nature all of a sudden starts to stir up. Or the moment that you get around certain temptations. Hey, let me just say this to you. This isn't in my notes. This is free of charge. You don't have to pay anything for it. Although it's so good, you should give something. Listen, God has saved me and set me free from the addiction of alcohol. Now watch this. Not only because he's powerful enough to do it, which he is, but because he also gave me wisdom. You don't see me sitting at a bar. You'll never find me at a party where there's alcohol. As a matter of fact, some months ago, we got invited to a wedding that we attended and I officiated. They invited me to the reception after, and I said, is there alcohol? And they said, yes, and I said, I'm sorry, I can't go. Our neighbors, and they're wonderful people, they invited us just a couple of months ago. They said, hey, why don't you come over for drinks? And I said, well, we don't drink. And I'm not going to put myself in a situation where there is alcohol. Because whom the sun set free is free indeed. And so I want to walk in freedom. And so when I walk in freedom, not only do I tap into the power of the Holy Spirit, but I make wise choices. And he says, in my mind, I want to be God's willing servant, but instead I find myself enslaved to sin. And here's what he says. He says, so you see how it is? My, my new life tells me to do right. But the old nature that is still inside of me loves to sin. OMG. Is this not so many of us? I want to do what's right, but there's something on the inside of me that just loves to sin. Because you were born into sin. And he says this, he says, and maybe some of you have said this, he says, what a wretched man I am. What a miserable person I am. A absolutely. Because slavery and imprisonment makes us miserable people. Because God never intended for you and I to live our lives in chains and shackles. That's why we feel miserable. And ladies and gentlemen, this is why the rate of suicide is astronomical. Because people feel miserable like they're trapped in their addiction. But I'm telling you this. Paul said, who will free me from this life? Who is it that can free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then he gives us the answer. He says, thank God. Can we do that now? Come on, let's just thank God. Oh, I got to hurry. He says, thank God. It has been done by Jesus Christ our Lord. He has set me free. Read it again on three. One, two, three. He has set me free. Ah, this is why. Listen to me. This is why God made the promise of salvation and the promise of freedom. It's why he made it to the children of Israel and why he allows it to be available to you and I today. Because salvation takes care of our eternity, but deliverance or freedom determines the quality of life while you are on earth. 
Salvation is our ticket into heaven. But deliverance is what gives us the quality of life while we're alive. And listen to me. You're alive. You're alive. I want you to write this thought down. The, the promise of deliverance, it closes the door on your old nature once and for all. It's, it's the promise of freedom that will shut the door, lock it, deadbolt it, and put that little old chain. Remember that little old chain? Put that little old chain there to be done with our old nature once and for all. How? Because God wants you to be whole. God wants you to be complete. God wants you to be delivered from that old person. God doesn't want to save you just so you get into heaven. God wants to save you and free you so you can take as many people to heaven with you as you can. Come on, if you're going to clap, let's do it right. Yeah, come on. Jesus. So real quick, how do we, how do we experience this delivering power? Let's stay, let's stay with Paul. Now let's go to Romans. He says this. He says, so now there is no condemnation. I'll talk about that. In just a minute. He says, now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And, and because you belong to Christ, because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit. Remember, remember he said the same power, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave lives in us. So this power of the life-giving spirit has what? Freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So the promise of freedom, the promise of deliverance is all about changing us. Listen to me. Not just getting me and you out of Egypt, but getting Egypt out of me and you. Not just saving you from that old life, but getting the stench of that old life off of you. And God's given us the power to do it. But we got to take the necessary steps. Go with me to verse number five. He says it like this. He says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, or those people are the ones that think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, they think about the things that pleases the Spirit. And here's what he says. Watch this. He says, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. I'm a, very, I'm a very practical type of speaker. I try to present messages in a way that, that I would want to receive them. And, and, and although sometimes I can be passionate and aggressive, I always want to give you like practical next steps. And so the Lord just dropped these few things into my spirit to help you. If you're wrestling with that old you and this new you and, and you're just caught up in some addiction, listen, this is, this is a, a deeper theological discussion, okay, but, but you feel like you're on your way to heaven. You said yes to Jesus, but you're just, you're just chained up to some bad habit and you just, you just want freedom. You just, you just want to be free. See, watch this, and I'm going to be really transparent. When, when God delivered me from alcohol, then God and I had to turn my attention to my temper. Because, and maybe it's just me, but there's more than just one thing that the old man wrestles with. Does that make sense? 
Okay, so let me give you a few things that the Lord dropped into my heart and that I've seen too. Just give me a couple minutes. I won't preach all of them, but write these down or take a picture. You ready? Watch this. Ask God to show you the areas where you aren't set free. And here's why. Because I think if you ask God, he'll reveal it to you because some of you are numb to them or you're blind to them. They've become so much of an addiction or so much of a bad habit that you don't even see it as a problem anymore. Are you with me? So I want you to ask God, God, where are the areas that I need freedom in? And listen to me. He'll show you because he wants you to be free. Now, here's the second thing. It's a process. Then, once you discover the area, then you confess those areas of sin. You confess them to God, and then you confess them to other people. Now, be selective of the other people you choose to tell. Come on, give me an amen right there. Okay? Because if not careful, your business will be on Facebook. Okay? But you got to confess those areas to God, and then you confess it to other people, and here's why. 1 John 1, 9, just write that reference down. It says this. It says, if we confess our sins to God, he is both faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we confess those areas of sin to God, he forgives us. But James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to one another, and you will be healed. So confessing our sins to God provides salvation. Confessing our sins to one another provides accountability, which produces healing. Do you see that? Okay, I got to move. I got to move. Watch this, the third one. Don't ever let condemnation stop you. Because the moment that you say, God, I'm going to walk in this freedom that you bought for me, you provided for me, the enemy will come at you with condemnation. Here's what it means. Really simple. The devil wants you to live under the power of condemnation. And he's using condemnation as a roadblock to keep you from stepping into the greatness that God has designed for your life. So condemnation means this. The enemy wants you to, wants you to feel like you'll never be more than you are right now. Well, you'll always be that way because your daddy was that way. That's a lie. Come on. You'll, you'll never be able to stay whatever, fill in the blank, sober. You'll, you'll never be able to stay free. You, you fill in that blank. That's what condemnation does. Condemnation causes us to run away from God because we're afraid of punishment. But God provides conviction, and it's different. Conviction draws us to him so we can place our hope in Jesus. Jesus said, you know, that God sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to what? To condemn it. He didn't send Jesus to this earth so that we can be condemned. Condemnation is the job of the enemy. And you, again, you can take this to the bank. You try to walk that straight and narrow. You do this, and the enemy will bring up condemnation and beat you down. He will beat you down. But let me give you one thought, okay? Greater is he on the inside of you than he that's in the world. Come on. Every time I'm about to preach, every time the enemy reminds you of your past, you remind him of his past. Come on now. You remind him of how Jesus fought him and took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. You remind him that at the end of the book, we read it and we win. We are victorious and there is freedom in the name of Jesus. And then here's the last one. Watch this. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a sermon series in itself, okay? But I'm going to give you this thought. You and I, we are all controlled by something. 
we're controlled by something. We're either controlled by our flesh or we're controlled by the spirit. You get to decide. And here's the image and then I'm done. Imagine that your life is a sailboat. And the Holy Spirit is the fresh air. The Holy Spirit is the fresh wind that blows. But watch. You must learn to adjust your sails according to the wind stream. And when the Holy Spirit moves, you have to reposition yourself to stay in the wind stream. Being controlled by the Holy Spirit means that you're being spirit-led and you're bearing the fruits of the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit of God. I'm done. Here's the question. I asked it earlier, and this is how we like to close. I'm going to give you a minute at both campuses. Our worship team is coming. They're moving now. Our campus pastors are getting ready to transition. But before you leave, before you walk out of that Go Church campus or you walk out of our South Metro campus, watch this. What has control over you? What has control over you? And when you identify it, you leave it here. You leave it here. There's so much more to unpack. And you told me I could go 40 more minutes, but I'm not going to do that. That's why we have a prayer team. That's why we have small groups. It's why we have counselors. It's why there's great programs in both of our communities that you can get into rehabilitation because salvation is immediate, but deliverance can be a process. But it starts with recognizing what has control over you. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Let the Lord speak to you. Come on.